Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum. And we have got a game to talk about. Syracuse loses 16-10 at North Carolina State on Thursday night, dropping to 3-3. Probably the ugliest game of the year for the Orange Sun offense that was absolutely anemic until the very end. A defense that that really only made one bad play and and, and kept the offense in it. Um, And a special teams group that kind of made a couple uncharacteristic mistakes. And, you know, the result is is not good. Syracuse now 500 going into a tough matchup with Pitt at home. Um, then they get Florida State on the road. So this is this is kind of put up or shut up time, I think. Um, so we're going to dive into the NC State game, particularly the offense. Before we do that, I need you to go subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever podcast platform you use. Uh, if you want to purchase local advertising with us, you can contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. And with that, let's dive in. I think you've heard a lot of my thoughts if you read on Syracuse.com. So I just wanted to send it over to Julian. You know, what what did you kind of take away from that? You know, was it as bad as, as it kind of looked to you as it did to me? Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I think it looked just as bad, you know, to everyone who was watching the game. Um, NC State isn't a good football team. The fact that Syracuse was still in it after all of those mistakes kind of tells you that. And we're starting to see a pattern here now, and that's what I was afraid of seeing before this game. I was really hoping to see some kind of improvement on the offensive line, a little more chemistry between Tommy DeVito and his receivers, and that didn't seem to exist for the majority of the game. And then in the final quarters, inside the last two minutes or so, uh, the only reason that a lot of those yards came about was because the defense was playing back, so the same routes were open over and over again. The uh, the little curls and all that that Syracuse likes to run. Uh, my fear right now is that this is Syracuse, that they don't have an offensive line, that they can easily be beaten up front uh, with a stunt, a twist, a blitz, uh, or on the outside, as soon as you press somebody and put a, a high safety over top, you take away everything that Syracuse offers uh, in the passing game. They can't come back to the curl because they're pressed up in man, they're tight to the corners, and they can't go over the top at some point because there's a safety over uh, playing high. The only offense that I've seen from Syracuse with any consistency is a deep ball where Tommy DeVito closes his eyes and hopes Taj Harris or, or, or Tristan Jacks comes down with the football. That's the only time I've seen uh, truly – a Syracuse offense moved the football uh, for any large kind of game. The other problem I'm seeing is the rushing attack. There's there's no run game at all. Uh, I think Syracuse ran for less than 70 yards this week. Uh, it's it's worrying and, and very concerning at this point because Syracuse is trending downward. And um, at this point in the season, with the rest of the ACC, while the ACC isn't uh, anything special this year, not the, the level of talent that we're used to, uh, Syracuse is right there. Uh, at an average, if not below average level right now. And, and that, that's, that's my fear is that they're trending downward. And before the season started, I had two thoughts. There were really one thought. This would go two ways. Either Syracuse is going to be very good because they alleviate their problems on the offensive line quickly. The new guys step in and play well. And Tommy DeVito can be who we've seen him to be. Or they don't. And everyone finds a way to take a shot at the team. And so far, they have not. Teams have figured out how to beat Syracuse. All you have to do is attack that offensive line. Tommy DeVito will have no time. And with an inexperienced quarterback who's on his back eight times a game, you can't expect very much offense. And then all of a sudden you're one-dimensional, and now you definitely can't run the football. So Syracuse's offense has a lot of problems right now. I watched Coach Babers during his press during, uh You could see that he, he there was 
stress in his eyes about what to do with this offense, how to improve it, how to improve it. So uh, I, I'm I'm worried for this football team and what kind of outcome they can look forward to for the rest of the year. I think the goal at this point, rather than ten games and you know some of the success they had last year, is, is now just getting to a bowl game, continuing bowl consistency, and not falling back into that irrelevant sphere that Syracuse has been in for the the last six, seven, eight years. So uh, it's it's a it's a climb back right now, and for Syracuse, man, it, it, it's definitely going to be neat. There's definitely some needed adjustments um, across the board. Yeah, to add to your point on the deep ball kind of being effective at times this year, NC State was bracketing Tristan Jackson at the end of that game. I mean, there's there's <laughs> you know there there's a straight double on a couple plays toward the end of the game. It's there's no doubt that's kind of what's working the. You know, relatively to the relative to the offense, what is working? Dino Babers for him, the cat, cat is kind of out of the bag there. Um, let's talk with, about what was new for the NC State game first, and then kind of work our way out on the offense. That's Tommy DeVito. He is not healthy. I don't care what he says. Oh, it's just bumps and bruises. Oh, you know, he's fine. Oh, he's not limited. I watched him pregame. I mean, you can just tell he's got the extra layer of padding around his torso, pr- protecting the rib area. You know, it's an officially an upper body injury. We don't have specifics on it. I mean, he's wincing, warming up when he's throwing the ball. He's stretching his right arm upward. His left arm is rubbing his chest. You know, you see in in the game, he's getting helped up with his left arm. <laughs> you know, he's he's protecting his side when he goes down early. And, and frankly, in the first half, he played like a guy who was not afraid to get hit, and then he's afraid of contact. But a guy who's hurt. You know, he's trying to protect himself because he has to. And I mean, look for everyone saying, "Oh, why don't they play someone else?" Dino Babers isn't an idiot. This should give you an idea of what the backup quarterback situation is, you know? So uh, I thought that he played a lot better in the second half. They were playing a lot of two-man, and and he took the space they were giving him, which we saw him be very hesitant to do in the first half. There was a third and seven late in the first quarter where he kind of took a couple steps forward, then shuffled right, and then ultimately decided he was going to try and run for it. And after three yards, he sees a defender coming after him, and rather than trying to make a miss, he just kind of goes down awkwardly. And you you could just tell he wasn't right. And I, I, I do think he adjusted. I don't think it's a situation where he's incapable of playing football. I, you know, I think it is for t- 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 a football player, that is the equivalent of bumps and bruises. Oh, well, you know, you're not at risk of serious injury, but you're, you're also nowhere near 100%. Um, so I, I thought he did a better job in the second half of taking up that space. Obviously, not having a rushing attack hurts, and we're kind of going get, to get to that next. But what did you kind of see from him, Julian? And, and I mean, you were around Eric Dungy a lot. What's different about a quarterback who has to play while they're not 100%? Yeah, so that's one, it's it's the nature of football, but it's much different uh, when it's your quarterback. Uh, Your coaches are always going to ask you, your coordinators or your assistants, whoever it is, uh, they know you're hurt. Most of the time they've been through it. They're going to say, hey, if you can play, you need to play, right? That's just, again, the nature of football, what you're expected to do if you don't have an injury that, keeps you from actually playing the game. There's, uh, there's a ton of coaches I've come across who say uh, there's a difference between hurt and injured. If you're hurt, you can play. If you're injured, stay out of the game, right? And but It's a little bit different when it's your quarterback because now you're dealing with a guy who can't execute fully. He's at he's operating at, it seems like, 60%, and it, it, it's really poor uh, when you have, when you're almost asking for a guy like Eric Dungy to to be your guy, 
who, for whatever reason, has has a mental thing where he can just play at 100% even when he seems to be at 60. Most people can't do that. Um, and this is a credit to uh, Dungy and what he was able to accomplish in his career. Um, to ask your quarterback to do that is it's a difficult thing to do uh, because, one, he can't constantly be running. He has to be – he's thinking. When you're stepping back as a quarterback, you're looking back, reading defenses, and when you can't push the ball the same way or you can't move the same way out of, out of danger when it comes to being inside of the pocket – that is a, a immediate problem to your football team. It's different when a defensive lineman may have a, a lower body injury and he can't quite get the uh, 100% push uh, that he's used to. But if he, he can still fill his gap and still be productive. When you're a quarterback and you can't move the same way and you've got guys who are able to reach you that much faster, you can't push the ball where it needs to be, and all of a sudden, rather than the completion, it's the incompletion, uh, that immediately hurts your football team. So I think injuries at the quarterback position are a little bit more drastic than uh, anywhere else uh, that you can find on a team at any other position. So about for defeat on it, and you can see it, like you said, uh, it, it seems like, He's moving at a slower pace. It seems like he's hesitating even more. And again, I, I truly, I can't blame Devito really at all at this point. I, I'm sure that Coach Babers has some minuses on his grade sheet, but I, I really think that this is a, a, an issue from the offensive line. This is a product of the offensive line. If you have a quarterback who's getting hit as often as Devito is, having to scramble as often as Devito is, and He's not a quarterback who's looking to run, and and that's becoming a problem for the offensive line. If you've got a guy back there who wants to sit back in the pocket and throw the football, and he doesn't have the time to do that, you're, one, stunting his growth because now he's not accustomed to conditions that are conducive to improvement, uh, and then, two, you're getting him hurt. And, and this is what we're seeing. DeVito's sitting back, uh, getting hit with two almost three seconds to throw the football, uh, having to run, having to get outside of the pocket just to make a play. Uh, that That's not his game. That's not who Tommy DeVito is. That's not uh, what we've seen him be at when we've seen him be at his best. Uh, he, he's a guy who wants to sit in the pocket, read a defense, chuck the ball deep, check it down to his, his underneath man. Like, But he hasn't had the chance to do that. And when you've got a guy who's playing outside of his game, it's it, it's detrimental to your offense, and that's what we're seeing from Syracuse right now. They have to improve up front because if they don't, I mean, it's going to be a long season, and, and he has nothing to rely on. He's doing it all on his own, and at this point, the injuries and all of the ailments that he's been dealing with up to this point are uh, almost to be expected. Yeah, I totally agree. He's actually the most sack quarterback in the FBS and until the rest of the the worst lines in the country catch up this weekend. He's been sacked 26 times, eight against NC State. Um, as far as the negative feedback he received, I, you know, the biggest thing he kind of pointed to, aside from maybe that willingness to go for the sticks as a runner early, is taking that sack at the end of the game. Um, I guess it's probably a good time to talk about the, the kind of madness at the end. Uh, you know, that's to me that was the killer. Taking that sack, they raced back, and obviously there was a false start call and a runoff. You can debate whether Tristan Jackson moved at the bottom of the screen before the end, crossed into the neutral zone all day. The bottom line is it's it's just one play, and it's just a Hail Mary that they missed out on. That sack was really the killer. Um, you know, a couple Syracuse guys kind of talked about, oh, we felt like we had this one stolen from us. I pushed back pretty strongly on that notion because they didn't really move the ball for like 55 minutes. 
Um, to you know, to me, I think there's a legitimate gripe about the hit on Tommy uh, a couple plays earlier after the false start to get hit up high after that. Uh, I don't think there's a legitimate gripe on, on the Cam Jordan play in the end zone. He stepped out of bounds. There can't be defensive pass interference. Uh, what was your take on, like, the whole end there? You know, what did you kind of want to see, Julian? And does, does, does Syracuse really have, like, a legitimate, oh, you know, we, we should have really had a better chance there? To me, it's a could have, not a should have. No, it's it's most certainly a could have. And my gripe here, then with the offense, then this is I was I was watching the game on television, and I was screaming like, "Why are you getting all defensive after a guy hits your quarterback late, softly? But for the rest of the game, you're cool with letting him get hit. You are <laughs> throughout the rest of this, the entire season. You have all been perfectly fine letting him get smacked all year long with." zero respect for your quarterback behind you. All of a sudden, when it's easy to defend him and push somebody, that's when you decide to do so. That's my problem with the that that moment there. And the other thing is, obviously the guy took a cheap shot on your quarterback. and He, I really he tried to pull up. I do think he tried to pull up. But he hit him high. So, Of course. Yeah. Listen, I, I played football for almost 20 years. I know when a guy is trying to get an extra shot. It's a whistle blue, and then there's like this little sneaky, like, a second and a half that happens where a guy takes those extra hard two steps and you just kind of let your momentum carry you into the quarterback. The secret, defensive coordinators love it, but it, it's really obvious sometimes, especially when everyone else stops. And that was a play there where um, it was clear that the guy wanted to get a little extra shot on DeVito, um, which you know, I, which I understand. But you, as, as an offensive lineman, my issue in that moment was your quarterback got hit. I think that was probably the softest hit he took all game. And the other ones you could have actually prevented. So in that moment, I, I really uh, struggled to uh, feel bad for anyone in that scenario. Uh, the idea that this game was stolen from them, uh, that, that, no, that, 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 that's wrong. That's false. That, that you gave this game away, uh, your inability to execute, uh, your inability to uh, be effective, your inability to protect your quarterback, your inability to stop an you know, offense, uh, those lost you a football game. And that that worries me because that says there's a lack of self-awareness as a football team if there's a belief that this game was stolen. Uh, at this point, I, don't, I think Syracuse – well, I thought Syracuse was a better team than to rely on referees to, to save them at this point. Um and, and just because of the body of work that they had put together, I don't think that they lost. I didn't think they had lost enough guys to truly be in a uh, rebuilding mode where they need help from referees or outside sources. I thought they had the talent on their own to win games. Uh, but at this point, again, this is this is a uh, reoccurring issue for Syracuse, and there has to be an adjustment. Whether it's the mentality of the team, uh, what's going on internally, uh, I think the intangibles though are minimal. There are real practical and demonstrated issues across the board for Syracuse right now that need to be adjusted. And uh, until that happens, it's going to be tough for Syracuse to win football games. So I think I'm, I'm, I wondered if we would see some bye week growth from the offensive line. And you mentioned that too. I think everyone outside the program, all the fans hope for that. Um, I talked to a couple of the guys on the line. They, <laughs> they expected it. You know, they're certainly working for it. And, and we just didn't see it. It wasn't there. Uh, the communication and pass protection was bad. It was loud. 
Uh, they got mixed up. You know, Tommy gets sacked eight times. Maybe a couple of them are coverage sacks. We saw a lot of 12 personnel early from Syracuse, stuffed stuffed on the run twice, drop eight, and everyone's like, oh, why doesn't Tommy throw the ball? It's like, well, he's got three receivers, and, and there's eight people in zone coverage. So you try and find some. Oh, he's got a little opening there. I think easier said than done. You know, look at the numbers. So, so my kind of thought is, like, at this point, it seems like so much of what they're trying to do is not going to be effective. Like, you can't try and, and do the power run game. I, I was surprised they went to that. NC State's the number six run defense in the country. It made me think back to the Clemson game. Like, why are you putting in a heavy package on the goal line against one of the best defensive fronts in the country? So I know Dino Babers wants to maintain the notion that they can run the ball, but if if you're not – producing balance to begin with I, I wonder like at a certain point is it worth scrapping that and I think a lot of people want to see more spread so my kind of column this week was well at this point Tommy DeVito needs to make more hits because you're really only moving the ball when you go 10 or when you go empty and when you spread it out like yep. is do you do you kind of think that's feasible and like obviously easier said than done here but is I guess is that the route you would go to try and open things up for this offense Absolutely. Uh, in, in my opinion here, uh, Julian, the offensive coordinator, uh, with zero experience. Uh, but in my experience as a defensive back, I, I've seen that when teams have struggling offensive lines on tape, they almost always go to a spread look to alleviate some of the symptoms, make it a one-on-one matchup, not rely on the strength of your offensive line, but rather the quickness of your offense, which typically you would think would be a, a strength for Syracuse. Examples I can think of uh, include Louisville with Lamar Jackson. Obviously, he was a, a phenomenal talent and generational player at the college football level. Um, even still, his offensive line was pretty poor, and we saw that carryover into the last few years of uh, Louisville football. But you typically spread the offense out and get the ball out quicker and rely less on the run, and then you have opportunities in the run game because the defense has to spread out and get to the outside and worry about your playmakers on the outside and the ball deep downfield. Then you have opportunities to run the football, which I thought and had been had been watching Syracuse build themselves as an offense. That seems to be the way they want to play, but – for whatever reason, they've decided we want to go to this power running game. They have bigger linemen than in, in the past. They're much bigger than when I played. Tackles are now 6'6", six, six guards, 6'5", six, uh, 315 plus pounds. Uh, that wasn't there when I was at Syracuse. We had much smaller linemen. And yet we were somehow able to run the football more effectively um, as a power run team, especially with Marone. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the mentality or the blocking scheme is necessarily there for Syracuse to be a uh, a power run team at this point because they're certainly not producing at the level you would expect uh, when you've got uh, 12 and 22 personnel in there uh, trying to run the football. So if I'm Syracuse at this point, yes, I'm going to spread the football out because it's been proven at this point power run game isn't working. The rushing attack isn't there. Teams are able to overwhelm you up front. And on the goal line, which you would think would be – an obvious power run situation, me, the coordinator, would go that route because it's the, the closest where the most direct way to the end zone, uh, it hasn't been effective either. So, yes, I, I believe a spread offense, a spread attack would open more options up for you and give DeVito uh, some opportunities maybe outside of the pocket to look for someone. But at this point, man, it, it, if there was truly an answer, it, it's worth 
whatever Baber's salary is at this point. That's his job to find. Uh, and it's difficult to, to find to find it right now, uh, clearly, because Syracuse is, is struggling at the level that they are. And that's the adjustment that needs to be made. Is it something on the offensive line? Is it something that we can do schematically? Is it something that we can find as an adjustment to our run game? There, that's what coaching is, and that's when you start to shift blame from some of your players and the execution to the staff and what's going on. I think coach is going to have to make some real decisions in the offseason as well. Uh, but, yes, this is this is an ongoing problem. I think there's a structure issue here, uh, especially when we've seen uh, this team be successful in the past. Uh, it, it's, it's strange to see all of a sudden things are, are, are as um, stagnant as they've been. So I think there's a combination of players not being where they need to be, but also there's a structural issue in terms of scheme from the staff that needs to be adjusted as well in terms of actually coaching it up, preaching it, and getting guys ready to play. So it's it's, it's a very layered issue at this point uh, from the top down that seriously needs to be adjusted, and I'm not sure it's going to happen uh, while in season. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And if it's going to happen, I think it needs to happen fast because we're seeing – some really negative body language. I know the ESPN cameras captured an upset Taj Harris on the sideline. You know, we've seen that throughout the year. I think receivers who are expected to produce are getting frustrated because they're not getting the ball. And, I mean, I think a lot of those guys are smart enough to know, well, it's not just Tommy not throwing you the ball. It's a product of the offensive line, a product of the play calling. But these are still these are still college guys who want the ball. And uh, it's I, I think it's close to boiling over. And I think if these next two games don't go well – where we might really see it start to slip away. Um, I do want to touch on a couple other things really quick before we go to fan questions. Got a lot of questions. Um, one, Syracuse like legitimately had a chance to win this game despite all of that. And while it's not on the special teams, I got to say, Lou Groza award-winning kicker missing a 44-yard kick. Well, if he makes that, it changes the complexion of the game. And Sterling Hoffrichter, your all-ACC punter, put the kickoff out of bounds after Syracuse's only touchdown. So if those two results flop, Syracuse only needs a field goal at the end, and you're you're on a difference. You're starting on a different spot on the field, ex- potentially with NC State being forced to punt, you know, rather than getting the ball at the 35, they get it at the 20. So point there, and then we should touch on the defense really quick. Syracuse did not lose this game because of the defense. Syracuse was probably in this game because of the defense. thought Andrew Armstrong – had, largely had a, had a good game. We're going to talk about the one double pass in a second. I want to hear your thoughts on that. He got an interception. I think we saw pretty good pressure up front. Uh, the red zone defense was really good. Scoot Bradshaw made a great play in man coverage, breaking up a pass. Um, you know, when they needed stops, they got him for the large part. But let's go back to that double pass. Uh, Dino Baber said Syracuse is in man coverage. We saw Thayer Thomas catch kind of a bubble screen-looking play. Syracuse's defense flocks to it. He throws back across the field to um, a back who'd slipped out of the backfield on the right side. You know, what did you kind of see, Julian? Where, where was the misstep for SU? Yeah, so watching the replay, I looked at the bottom of the screen to kind of figure out what the coverage was there. And I saw a corner sitting – uh, in an open stance, uh, kind of shuffling and guys making adjustments and not really taking on a specific man. So it indicates to me that there was his own coverage. And uh, that was to the bottom three receiver side. Up top, you see, I think it was Chris Frederick uh, lined up and pressed. So that means it was either a tight zone coverage where essentially he's in man or was a truly man-to-man defense. And if that's the case, your corner is going to take his man wherever he goes. If he runs a post up the field, 
he's going to take him. If he goes underneath, he'll take him. If it's a zone, he would have backed off. But it turns out receiver goes up, runs a post route. Corner goes with him. It seemed to me that uh, it was Evan Foster was your middle-of-the-field player in that in that case. If it was a zone coverage, he's still your middle-of-the-field. If it was a, a quarters coverage or if you're in man, he's still your middle-of-the-field safety. So in, in, from what I understand, I thought he was a middle-of-the-field guy. And then your linebacker almost always has has the quarterback. Or I'm sorry, the running back. So he's gonna he's looking for the either the flat if it's a zone, the linebacker. He's gonna be in the flat, taking whatever leaks out, and if it were to turn into a real wheel route up the field, your linebacker would stick with that and you'd hope that maybe your safety can get can get there, uh, but it's hard to rely on that. Or if it's a man your linebacker's still going to go with the back. I think in this instance, because of the pass action, the ball going out to the receiver on this, what seemed to be a screen, guys immediately run to it, which it's hard to fault someone for that because you're going to have, you want them to re-react and trigger to the football. Uh, the double pass back the other way, you lose a linebacker and out of coverage, your safety's being pulled by the post route. It's a great play. It's, the safety's being pulled by the post route so he's going to help inside of that corner. Um, and then you've got a wide-open man at the top of the screen um, off of the wheel route so and with no one covering him. So in this instance, I, I, it seemed to be uh, the linebacker's responsibility uh, to cover the back. Uh, I think that's kind of why Evan Foster was looking back like, yo, what are you guys doing? Uh, because it's, it's hard to ask your safety uh, to, to cover – that much with that much range. If if Syracuse had, I don't know, an All American safety with range and length, uh, maybe that play doesn't happen. Like Andre Cisco, <laughs> maybe like Andre Cisco. <laughs> uh, but in that instance, uh, it's 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 really hard to ask a safety to cover um, with that much range. Typically, if you do, they go to the NFL. And uh, missing Cisco in that situation, I think, hurts Syracuse. But yes, in that in that instance, though, uh, you're typically looking for your linebacker to cover out on the running back where he goes, whether he's in the flat and carrying up the field or in man-to-man coverage. Yeah, that was kind of my guess, and I think it was a really good call. We we saw before the snap, there were two guys in the back, so one of the guys motions out left and Lakeem Williams follows him. So I don't know if that's strictly an indicator that they're in man coverage and, and that leads to the double pass call, but either way, really nicely executed. You know, Dino Babers and Andrew Armstrong both – kind of tipped their hats to uh, to NC State. Um, and the, the passing game coordinator there, George McDonald, you wonder if he had anything to do with that. So it might have been, <laughs> might have been a nice night for George. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's, uh, let's go over to some fan questions. We had a lot of them, some serious, some sarcastic, some between the two because I think the fan base is – Pretty confused and upset um, after a game like that. Let's yeah. see what we got. <laughs> All right. <laughs> from from my roommate Kyle, is Julian ready for an XFL call? <laughs> what do you think, Julian? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. I've uh, had way too many Twix bars and Cokes. I have never – I haven't touched the football field about – Two years at this point. So uh, uh, on that Will Hicks diet, <laughs> that Will Hicks diet has been very good to me. Uh, yeah, no, I'm completely off of the football thing, man. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think I could ever. <laughs> I don't think I'm ready for that that level of play anymore. 
Yeah, I'm going to pass on that. Um, we, we are seeing a lot of former Syracuse guys that have entered the draft pool. Dante Strickland, Jamar McGloster, Irv Phillips. Uh, Eric Dungy did, but he actually got signed to the Cleveland Browns practice squad. Uh, so, yeah. you know, we'll see how Eric does there. Glad to see him get another opportunity. Um, glad to hear you are done playing because we need you on the podcast. And I don't think I don't think 50K is worth some of the hits that people are going to take in that league. Um, yeah, no, at this point, I think uh, yeah, the XFL would have been a pay cut for me anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I I couldn't put myself out there anymore. But I do uh, support the guys uh, still in the draft. Well, I think Earl Phillips um, really could, could use the, the XFL uh, to get back into the league. I thought he had NFL talent, Jamal McGloster. It's a really good opportunity for a lot of former SU football players, and I hope a lot get a chance to play. Um, I thought Dungeon's going to be headed over there, but congrats to him over at Cleveland. I think he's going to be grateful. Yeah. Um, all right, Mike Vidal, seemingly frustration from some of the players. Understand, but can they come together? Team requires trust and respect. I think we're really talking, well, mostly about the offense here. We've kind of talked about <laughs> what it's like to be on a defense when your offense is anemic. Um, what do you think? How, how much longer do you think the fuse is kind of for these guys before, you know, that – that mental state starts to really affect what's going on on the field. I think it's already started to kick in. We've, we've seen it. Yeah. I mean, we've actually seen it with, with receivers uh, getting frustrated. I mean, it, and it's been there at this point. I mean, these are guys don't just all of a sudden, like at one time it happens and you get pissed off. No, these are things that you see in practice uh, happening. Imagine you're running 30, 40 yards every other play and expect to get the football and all of a sudden nothing happens. And then you're not moving the ball. Then you're not being productive. Then you start losing games. It's, it's a natural progression uh, to become frustrated in that instance. And, and then when you're on defense, yeah, if you're, if you're playing well and you're doing your end, it, like any group, I think just about anyone can relate to this. You're doing a group project, you're doing your end, and the other half of your group isn't. You start to feel like, come on, like, as even the most motivated leader, you're starting to feel like, all right, we need to pick up the slack here with what's going on. So uh, it, it's it's certainly, I think, ha- has already kicked in. And the mentality here is that's where you have to rely on leadership. And I think at this point, it's got to come from Babers. I don't know who the leaders are on this team anymore uh, because it, it, there doesn't seem to be very much player leadership in terms of uh, getting guys just showing on the field that they're ready to step up and, and be the guy. There doesn't seem to be that same passion uh, that Eric Dungy showed on the field to, to stay in football games. Uh, so at this point, I have to lean on, Co- on Coach Davis to, to instill in his guys and make sure they're ready to go. Uh, but at this point, I think it's already, the frustration is already set in, and guys are looking around like, yo, who's, who's going to make something happen? Because it, it, it's looking uh, kind of cloudy out here. Yeah, I definitely see it with some of the receivers. We've seen Taj Harris get pretty upset during at least a couple games this year. Tristan Jackson upset during the first quarter. I, I don't think it's I don't think they've hit the point where it's really hurting them. You know, I mean Taj ended up coming out of the game, so I guess, you know, it's affecting them, but you know, when Syracuse was in it down the stretch, all those guys seemed to be engaged. I saw Tristan Jackson going over to the defensive huddle trying to pump guys up, like yeah. It's. I, I don't think we've hit the breaking point yet, but especially in that receiver group, you know, guys who expected to produce and are now not producing, um, I definitely think we're seeing some of it. Uh, man, my roommates just don't have any chill here. Uh, Chris Chris <laughs> Libanati, you guys should go follow him. Uh, he's one of our uh, cops reporters working the night shift for Syracuse.com. You have a lot of questions. Number one, how dare you? 
any office fans out there can appreciate that. Shout out to Mindy Kaling. She's awesome. Um, Scott Snyder, how did you and Julian think Coley played at safety? What do you think, Julian? I, I think in a solid game, he didn't blow any cut. Listen, my my grading material uh, whenever I play uh, fake defensive back coaches, did you blow any coverages? Were you out of position? Did you know where you were supposed to be? Uh, rather than were you making fantastic plays? And I think I think he, that's what's getting him on the field and more playing time is that he's consistent. He knows where to be. He's a smart football player. He's not blowing coverages. And at this point, watching Syracuse in the secondary with all the guys that they have out, uh, yeah, I, I support that. Um, and I think he's done a great job. I think it's uh, – Big on his end to continue what he's doing because the consistency at his at his position uh, I think is necessary. So I like I like his game. I think he's been playing well, and I don't have any complaints on Cole. Yeah, I kind of agree. I, I still think the I still think the sample size is small, right? And it's it's getting yep. bigger with every game. We saw he I, I can't remember which game it was last year. He took a terrible angle and gave up a huge rushing touchdown. We haven't seen anything like that. It seems like he's playing with a little bit more control. Um, I think hopefully in, in time, he's able to play instinctively and not make mistakes. Um, but for now, you know, I think he's done a good job. And, look, Evan Foster's a senior. Someone needs to start at strong safety next year. And I, I think the staff hopes it's going to be Eric. So, you know, we'll yep. see how he kind of continues to develop there. Uh, this is a good one. This made me chuckle. How, how can we score over 60 points with Zach Mahoney at quarterback and now we can hardly move the ball with a four-star QB? I mean, I can tell you the obvious things. Like, the offensive line is different. Pitt's defense was had basically quit that game. I mean, so had Syracuse. It was really, truly incredible. Yeah. Um, Zach Mahoney, yeah. t- I believe, tied Jim Brown's record for total touchdowns in a single game, which is yeah. honestly a travesty. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, so the defense, the offensive line, all those things. Like, is there anything else you can add, Julian, or is this just one of those things that's just like it's just simply as bad as it looks? Um, I would say a number one receiver. Um, I don't think Syracuse has uh, been able to rely on one guy as much as they have in seasons past. Like Jamal Custis last season, uh, Steve Ishmael the year before, or Ahmed Atawa back in 2016. I think those guys uh, were true number one receivers. And then Zach Mahoney was, was throwing the ball up. And I think it was, was it Ahmed that year? I believe um, so. Taking touchdowns in, yeah, I think he had two or three touchdowns that that game. Uh, just going up top, the Syracuse um, has that same number of receiver to bail out uh, their quarterback with all out stands. That's what you want a number of receiver for uh, when your everything falls apart, which it typically does for Syracuse passing offense. The, the ability to just throw the ball up there and rely on a guy to come down with it uh, that hasn't been there this year. I mean, there's been flashes with Tristan Jackson. Uh, flashing from Taj Harris here and there, but it's not on the level that we've seen uh, with regularity uh, with the past three guys. A, a small Custis, I didn't, I didn't know he'd be as missed as he has been. But a number one receiver that can come down with the football on the outside is something that uh, Syracuse has been able to rely on in the Coach Babers era for the past three seasons. And this year, that doesn't seem to be the case. They have talent on the outside, but no one who's shown that they can consistently. Uh, make plays on the outside. So to answer the question, how does how did Mahoney do it? Yes, it was the pit secondary. Uh, they had they definitely quit the game, but I also and they had I believe uh, Mahoney had more protection. But um, I think a number one receiver was a a big thing that that helped Syracuse. And this year it it hasn't been there. 
and um, I'm, I'm really hoping someone can find a way to step up soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking back at that offensive line group. It wasn't necessarily great, but I think they had a little bit more experience there, a little bit more age. Um, and, yep. and, and to me, that's that's just the biggest thing because the more I look at the offensive line Syracuse has now, like this is harsh, but there's only one guy who knows what he's doing and is physically fit to play his position, and that's Evan Adams. You know, Carlos yep. Federello should not be playing. Like it's not on Carlos Federello that he has to be put out there. He's just – it's yep. tough. He's a redshirt freshman playing tackle against good edge rushers. He's had communication issues on the road in loud environments – and, you know, it's it's just a lot to ask. And consider this, he beat out the grad transfer who's now starting across from him. So yeah. <laughs> those are your two tackles. you got a first-year starter at Garden, Dakota Davis. And Aaron Service is, well, I, I think he's got a great frame. He's a smart guy. Like, I think he's going to be good. He's too small to play center right now. He's getting pushed around. He lost weight during last season, didn't really put it on you know, so much in the off season, I think right now he's physically fit to play tackle and they've elected to keep him at center for some of the reasons we've discussed in the past. You want to spread the ball out and run inside zone, run up the middle behind your, some of your best linemen. Um, I think his knowledge and understanding of pr- protections and identifying fronts and all that, well, maybe it hasn't shined through in all of these games. I think those are all factors why he's there, but I mean, it's, it is worse than we possibly, you know, even could have imagined, I think, up front. So a lot of a lot of different things affecting that. I mean, also, like, that Mahoney game was just, like, the flukiest end-of-year teams have quit, like, kind of game you could ever possibly draw up. But to think about those two games next to each other, it is kind of incredible. Uh, Rel Loren, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Why didn't the staff go to the offensive game plan they utilized in the fourth much earlier? Um, look, they've tried to do that at times this year. They tried to spread out Maryland and Clemson and run those hitches and get the ball to Riley and, and generate tempo with the plays they like to use when they already have tempo. And like Those plays work really well when the defensive players are, are, one, maybe playing a little bit off, but looking to the sideline and scrambling. And it's like, all right, we can't get beat over the top. We can't give up the big play. All right, yeah, the seven-yard the seven comeback to Riley is going to be there. Um, what have you kind of seen, I guess, the notion that that – specifically can be used early on what are the challenges and what does a defense do to maybe defend against that in an in an earlier game situation um against against Syracuse's offense yeah I mean maybe I mean I thought Maryland and Clemson took away some of that but basically going to going to spread in the quick passing game how much harder is that to do when I guess you don't have tempo and maybe the defense isn't playing off no uh it's it's harder I'm trying to weigh this. I would say, okay, for Syracuse, when you don't have a tempo, I don't think not having it is is a, a huge problem uh, in terms of uh, actually being effective. Rather, but I do think that the scheme itself that teams are using um, has been more of an issue for Syracuse. The tempo is supposed to give you an advantage. On offense, you've got guys on defense who are gassed. They're trying to make adjustments to what you're doing. Uh, and the spread and the tempo combined are supposed to create hectic conditions for defense. It's, when it catches you off guard or you're not conditioned properly to handle it, it is, it's, it's a beast to handle. I've, I've gone against it several times. Notre Dame, NC State ran it really well against us at times, and it was, it was, it was a beast to handle. Uh, but when you're Syracuse and you're trying to spread the football out, and, and make plays, but you can't be effective on the outside because teams are 
sticking to your receivers or you don't have the time at the quarterback position, that, that's going to hurt you. And I think in terms of play calling, uh, the most difficult thing is, is finding – where where can we find openings here? Um, are you are we behind in terms of uh, are defensive coordinators ahead of us in terms of how we're trying to scheme this this thing up? Are we uh, finding ways to use motion? Uh, are we finding ways to uh, go after their zone? It, it's 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 a chess game, and worst thing right now for Syracuse, it, it seems like, and more often than not, they're losing. Um, it seems like there's there's an obvious uh, game plan that a lot of teams are using at this point to. Uh, stunt Syracuse's progression, and if you don't have anything up front to help you solidify anything, if you can't get a push up front to run the football or you can't get a pass protection to throw the ball, um, it, it's really hard to do anything. So I don't, know, I don't know if tempo at this point is Syracuse's problem more so than actually being effective um, in terms of what you want to do on offense. Yeah, I do think those go hand in hand, and I, and I think we saw Syracuse try – and get tempo going however, maybe not however they could, but we saw an Abdul Adams Wildcat, for instance, a few plays of that, and then they throw DeVito back in and try and go quick. Like, they're trying to manufacture those situations where they can attack a defense. Um, Obviously, one of the downsides with with spreading it out and trying to go quick in from the start is, well, if your first read isn't open and your tackles can't protect, your quarterback's about to get lit up. So that's that's some of what we saw um, against you know Maryland and Clemson. Maybe that's more effective against against Pittsburgh, whose front is a question mark and whose secondary is a strength. Um, you know we'll we'll see Florida State, Boston College. You, you know obviously you're gonna have different game plans for different teams. Like we talked about, I do think we see more of that, but it's not just gonna magically work. Like part of why it worked the previous three years is because you had a semblance of a running game, and and really you had Eric Dungy. His threat to run constantly kept everyone in the middle of the field with an eye in the backfield. And you don't have that anymore. That's, you know? that's a great point, and I, it, that's a fantastic point. Eric Dungey's ability to force defenses to keep a man in the middle of the field to watch what he's doing, whether that was a linebacker or a safety, was a, uh, a, a true advantage for Syracuse's offense because it kept them from going after – uh, that offensive line, and we had seen we've seen Syracuse be vulnerable to this, this, this these kinds kinds of game plans uh, pretty early in Coach Baber's regime. Uh, we talked about this in early podcast with Middle Tennessee State as a great example of teams kind of using that three three five stack formula, uh, three down linemen finding ways to use twists, stunts, and blitzes to get after the quarterback and giving Syracuse some problems. But having Dungy in that quarterback kept a lot of teams from going that route because of his ability to run the football. Uh, I could think of games last year where he had, I think it was like 200 yards rushing. It was in that, in that Western Michigan, I think, uh, first game of the season where he's just taking off when guys were blitzing up the middle. Um, and Sager doesn't have that anymore. If you uh, don't have that threat to get out on, out on the outside and a quarterback who's willing to take those risks, uh, it, it's going to be difficult for you. And I think Syracuse relied on that heavily while uh, Dungy was there. So there's going to be, be some adjustments, whether that's with uh, the scheme or with uh, what DeVito wants to do as a quarterback. But having Tommy DeVito, or, or excuse me, Eric Dungy, um, in at that the quarterback position, forcing teams out of uh, that kind of game plan really helps Syracuse the past few years. Yep. All right, next question, Todd Benware. Two questions. What does the staff do to eliminate penalties and instill discipline? A lot of the penalties are coming on the offensive line, so I think you can kind of 
those false starts, you can kind of pull aside and say, oh, you, you need to work on that. And the, the noise really affected that group. I think more so than I realized live, Dino Babers talked about it. Even Sean Riley talked about it, saying he's looking down and seeing, you know, the defensive line is running twists and stunts, and the communication was just not there. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is figuring out how to communicate in those environments. And look, that's a product of having inexperienced guys. It's Dino yeah. Babers kind of said it, you know, older guys figure out how to hear younger guys don't know how to do that. Um, so I think that's kind of just, that is what it is. And I think that's something you can get better at, but it's a product of experience. The discipline side of it, like, I guess the Antoine Cordy penalty comes to mind. Um, he, I don't know if he just said a magic word after getting a red zone stop uh, against one of NC State's better receivers. Uh, Amezi, who I believe went up on him a series before and made a really nice catch. So I think, yeah. you know, I think that's probably just a little bit of jawing. I, I didn't see anything physical. Um, so I don't no. know. You know, that's. No, in that, in that instance, because um, I mean, receiver DB chatter happens all the time, right? You see it on television, whether it's college or high school or NFL yeah. game, guys go back and forth. Then, I mean, I have my chats with guys. I mean, I, I can remember uh, pretty vividly going uh, back and forth with Kelvin before I got knocked out of the game, Kelvin Benjamin, because when he was it's, blocking. It's good that you remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, before I got knocked out, Kelvin Benjamin, he was 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, uh, when he blocked me, he kept pushing the face mask. So eventually we go back and forth, but the ref would call out, hey, hey, and give you kind of a warning to stop, and you kind of say your last word and keep it going. But in this instance, it seemed like the ref gave the warning, like, all right, guys, calm it down, and Cordy ignored that. So, I mean, you would think with – Six years and a doctor's degree, uh, he, he'd know that, you know, all right, let me, let me relax. So that was, that was a really disappointing penalty. Yeah, and there's actually – we got one more question, a three-question tweet. Uh, excuse me, a two-question wow. tweet. I got ahead of myself. It's uh -huh. just two. It's just two. <laughs> how does he feel about our secondary technique? Um, I'm going to assume that's how Julian feels. I, I will add this before you kind of answer that. Syracuse gets the stop. And Scoop Bradshaw makes a heck of a play. He does not get his head turned around, as, as Todd asked. You know, it seems like they don't often get their head turned around. So how hard is it to get your head turned around? And, and how successful can you still be at a cornerback in those situations? From my perspective, it's impossible to be in phase on every one of those plays, right? Okay, so oh my God, I've been waiting 10 years <laughs> to answer this question. <laughs> I have to defend all of my own personal problems. But it is one of the hardest things to do when you're in space to look back because as soon as you do, that's when the ball – if you don't know where the ball is when it's thrown and you just decide, let me look back, that's when the ball can just drop in the lap of the – in the hands of the receiver. And then you're in a, in a bad position already. It happened to me against Duke where I'm like, okay, I've got the guy. Let me look back. Ball drops behind my head and it's like, crap, I, I messed up again. It's it, I think it's one of the most difficult things to do as a DB to play – um, in phase and try to uh, look back at the ball. I think it's actually a skill set that a lot of TV, and when I was in the NFL, they was coached, if you're in phase, play his hands. Don't jump at the guy or jump into the guy, but you want to play his hands. The problem is sometimes the ball is overthrown or underthrown and the, and the receiver jumps back into you. In that instance, the only thing you can do is try to play back as best you can and not grab or wrap around the receiver and still try to play through his hands. It is one of the most, it's the most difficult part of playing defensive back is getting your head around um, in time to see the football and make a play on the ball. And it, 
usually only happens when you're in uh, in phase and you're hip-to-hip with the guy and have time to look back. He's already giving you his chest, showing the balls in the air. It's a timing thing. It's a technique thing. It's, 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 it's a difficult thing to do, but the best DBs know how to play uh, with their head turned to the receiver and play through his hands. Uh, I think a lot of guys on Syracuse's defense in the secondary have actually done a pretty good job of this. I like what Chris Frederick does. I think Bradshaw, for the criticism that he does get, I think he's done a pretty decent job uh, for the most part of actually using his hands and playing through receivers uh, or playing through receivers' hands. It, it, but the defensive back position itself is specifically the cornerback position. When you're playing uh, press, uh, press man or whatever kind of man coverage and you're facing your receiver, whenever I see someone say, oh, why didn't he turn his head? Why didn't he turn his head? Sometimes you can't do that. There, there is not enough time uh, to turn turn around and all of a sudden just it, make a spectacular play on the ball. You know, it, not every corner is a, a all American. Is the reason there's only six guys who make that 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 squad. Uh, but I, I give a lot of credit to the guys in the secondary so far. I think they've actually played uh, relatively well this year. Um, you don't see guys getting beat deep uh, regularly. Uh, there has been a few blown coverages, but in terms of actual technique, I think guys have been uh, pretty sound for the most part throughout the year. Right. Two quick points. So, so you know, to kind of summate that and, and put a little perspective on it, not turning your head around is sometimes the smart play. That's sometimes yeah. what you're supposed to be doing. So think about that next time you see that happen. And, I mean, if, to me, Afatu Malafanu is the guy who does get his head around most often. It's no surprise because he's the longest, rangiest He's got the quick hips. I mean, he is built differently than the rest of those guys. So, to me, that's one of the things that makes him really impressive, and it obviously does open up opportunities for interceptions. But if you don't get turned around in time, it can it can be bad. Um, so, good question there, and actually a really good answer from Julian. I appreciated that. Glad you could get that off your chest, buddy. Um, <laughs> Tim Cavanaugh, what is Coach B going to do differently to get this offense going? We've talked a lot about that. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. You know, we had ideas, but – executing them is going to be tough b dog are there any young o linemen we can look forward to seeing next year what if i told you you're seeing them this year <laughs> those, those are the guys who are supposed to be playing next year um who are the young o linemen who might be forced onto the field next year i don't know maybe anthony red uh clearly they like matthew bergeron they're not red shooting him this year the canadian tackle they brought him on as a sixth lineman in the abdul adams wildcat the real question is, who are they going to go out and get on the grad transfer market to come in and protect Tommy DeVito? I mean, that's they need to address that. They, they did not get Ryan Roberts last year, a Northern Illinois guy who went to Florida State. You think back to Tyrone Sampson, who's probably supposed to be the center in this lineup a few classes ago. Things didn't exactly work out with him. As I said before, I don't think the whole story on that has kind of come out. Uh, he was obviously no longer a part of, of that that class a little bit before early signing day a couple years ago. So, yeah, I don't have some magic name who's redshirting this year. Like, those guys are playing. That's the problem. Um, Martin Ball, Julian was spot on with his predictions of 10 wins at this point last season. What's his prediction after six games this season? What you got? Oh, man. Oh, boy. Um, I'm trying to think of what's left on the schedule. Uh, What is it? Pitt, Duke, Florida State. Yeah, they got Pitt, they got home against Pitt, at Florida State, home against BC, then you get your second bye week, I'm pulling up the schedule to get the order right for the last three, it's at Duke, 
at Louisville, home against Wake Forest. Is the pick game pick games on the road, correct? Pick games at home next Friday. That's the next one, yeah. No, they're not winning that one either. Okay. Um I'm gonna give them oh, this is tough. Uh let me spot this one, please. <laughs> I'll come back to this. It's um, it's it's a good question because to me, like I think we're really at that turning point, right? If you yeah. lose to Pittsburgh and Florida State, you're three and five going into that BC game, which according to ESPN's FPI and I think kind of just common sense is your easiest game left. But if you're three and five at that point, how many guys are mentally checked out? So to me, right. it's like if you're three and five, you know, I it's hard to imagine better than six and six and you know we'll see we'll see what wake forest looks like at the end of the year i think they're playing five straight including clemson and finishing with syracuse syracuse actually got a great schedule from the acc wake forest did not i wonder what they're going to look like uh louisville how much will they have to play for at the end of the year i think duke will be a good team like it's i feel like we're gonna they're gonna end up six and six and i'm gonna have to go to some ridiculous bowl game that no one's gonna care about so you, you got my prediction I don't think that's what you wanted. I'm sure that wasn't what you wanted to hear. Um, but, no. you know, to me, the only way they salvage this season, it's got to be right now. you got to go beat Pitt at home and then go down to Florida State. And, and I really don't see them winning that game. Um, yeah, they, the offense needs to figure it out, like right now. And uh, they've shown nothing that makes me think they can do that. Uh, let's keep moving through questions. All orange, what was that? Yeah, good one. Nick, do they know any other plays? Fair. Uh, Cuse, when can we expect changes at offensive line? There's no way this is the best we have. Well, if they were going to change something, it would have been after the bye week. I kind of thought we'd see more Patrick Davis, especially with how the tackles kind of handled the NC State environment. Like, I just don't think it's happening at this point. I don't think Sam Heckle is coming back anytime soon. I, I think this is what Mike Cavanaugh and Dino Babers and Mike Lynch have decided they're going to roll with. As, as you know, difficult as that may seem for some people, I, they're not stupid. Like, Mike Cavanaugh has been coaching offensive lines for 30-plus years. Dino Babers has been a coach a long time. If they think this is their best five, it, it probably is. Um, yep. And that's why they're so bad. That's really, that, that's to me, that is really the biggest thing. Matt Story, this that sir is disturbing. Uh, it's a comment. Someone posted a, some kind of confused <laughs> animal. I don't know if it's a monkey or, or what exactly it is. But <laughs> yeah, good old Twitter. Right? All right. A couple more. Tom Henry, who actually is doing the play calling? Why is it a handoff to Mo Neal and then a wide receiver screen to start every game? Uh, Mike Lynch and Dino Babers work together on that. I, I suspect it changes kind of game by game. And with the flow of the game. So Dino does not like to talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, that's kind of the combination. You know, why are they trying to run the ball and, and getting a, a, a horizontal passing game? It's because their offensive line is not good. It's because they don't have time to protect. They're hoping to force a defense to stay back. So Tommy DeVito has time to throw the ball, and it's obviously not working. Uh, also, Tom Henry, I'd love to see them utilize the tight ends and jet sweeps early and quit trying to run up the middle until we actually get some improved line play. We've talked about running up the middle, and Julian made a great point about jet sweeps a couple weeks ago, I believe. When your tackles are getting pushed back, that's where the receiver runs for the jet sweep. So when you've got to run like a rainbow in the backfield, it's you're, you're not really getting any of that. Um, and last one. 
Uh, from Taylor, any thoughts on our offensive play calling? NFL seems to have shown that passing is generally more advantageous, and we seem to start moving the ball better going pass heavy. Any any thoughts on something we haven't talked about with that yet, Julian? Um, I support it because there isn't a push up front, and I think that throwing the football uh, both in the short game becomes your new rushing attack, and I think that that's advantageous for Syracuse. Uh, I agree. And the NFL hasn't shown that passing the football is more effective. I can remember coaches, especially uh, when I was in Buffalo, they were really big on uh, using the pass to set up the run, uh, surprisingly, in a. In a uh, uh, what was the name? I just lost his name. Uh, 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 I can't remember his name. Uh, but yeah, using the pass up the run was a uh, a, a big deal in, with the Bills camp. Uh, Rex Ryan, which was surprising to see from a Rex Ryan uh, led regime. Uh, but yes, in the NFL, you do want to sometimes set up set up the run with the pass. And in Syracuse's case, using short passing in whether that's screens, bubble screens. Uh, quick passing game as your new rushing attack, I think it's the most advantageous just because there's no push up front. It's obvious that Syracuse struggles to run the football, especially with the 60 something yards they had last week. Yeah, appreciate that. And Veer and Shoot is supposed to be based on passing to set up the run, so it's not something that's lost on Dino. It's just not working. Um, all right, lots of good questions. Thanks so much for those guys. That was uh, that was fun and uh, and pretty funny. Um, all right, for uh, for Julian Wiggum, I'm Stephen Bailey. That's all we got. Again, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, whatever you listen to. And if you want to purchase advertising, call Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. We'll be back to preview the pit game.